a scientist's human transplantation experiment runs amok. excitement as these skull-faced astro-zombies strike blindly at living flesh, tearing, ripping, and killing with blood-drenched fury. Unbearable suspense and sadistic terror grip the senses as these human transplants threaten the safety of a city. Transplanted brains could only lead them to murder. Marina. Action to thrill you. Suspense to make your blood curdle. You watch in frightened fascination. Beating hearts and throbbing living brains are transplanted by a scientist whose motives are entirely dedicated to evil. Hello, denizens of the Internet Wasteland. This is your host, Mr. Derek Terry, and I want to welcome you to our wonderful show, Astro Radio Beat. Whoa. Dixie, are you hearing that uh, feedback there? No, I hear no feedback. That could be problems. Bad feedback. I, I kind of get a little worried there when I start hearing myself. I can't stand hearing myself. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> so, welcome, everybody, to uh, episode number two of the revamped Astro Radio Z. Obviously, I am there, and here with me is the uh, always lovely, wonderful, cheeky Dixie. How are you doing tonight? You're so sweet. Oh, I try to be. Oh, you succeed. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad that you uh, you survived Shitstorm 2013, as you are part of Oklahoma Crew. So, uh, Damn. oh, it, it was, it was very fun, interesting times because in my neck of the woods, overcast, a couple of wind gusts, and then, meh. That's good. I'm glad I didn't have to hear about you on CNN this week. Right, right. I'm, I'm not really trying to make light of the whole thing, but sometimes you just got to crack jokes or else you're going to go crazy. Yeah, right. And, of course, it, it goes without saying, we all, uh, our hearts and uh, prayers go out to everybody uh, that were involved in the tornado in Oklahoma and all that jazz. Um, but here on Astro Radio Z, we talk about nastiness and people dying for fake. Um, that <laughs> So we won't talk about people dying for real. We'll leave that uh, to the exploitation people of CNN and Fox News. Oh yeah, I was like, definitely to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight we have a, uh, an amazing show uh, to bring to you guys. Um, I'm happy uh, to bring on our guest tonight, uh, which will be joining us soon. Um, we're, we're bringing on tonight Don Thacker, the writer director of 
an amazingly subversive uh, film that I thought really harkened back to uh, early era Frank Hennenlotter's uh, stuff like Brain Damage. Uh, Motivational Growth is the name of the film. I'm really happy to get him on and start talking to him about that film because uh, I I kind of have an affinity for the kind of film that he put together there. A lot of really interesting things that are going on in that film. And then we also have a pair of filmmakers. Uh, all, everyone tonight is all from the wonderful state of Washington, from Seattle, Washington, uh, a town that's near and dear to my heart as my wife and I lived out there for a few years in the early 2000s. Um, so these are all... I'm really excited to have people from from Washington uh, on. But uh, the second film and filmmakers we're going to have on are Jeremy Berg, writer and director, and John, uh, I hope I'm not just completely slaughtering your name. Forgive me and uh, berate me if I am. Uh, John Portanova, the writer and producer of a great, taut, uh, atmospheric thriller called Satter Ridge. Um, so in a few minutes, we'll have them come on and we'll talk about independent cinema. But, uh, right now let's, uh, do a little update. I haven't really talked to all you guys in a few weeks, obviously. Um, since the, the, I don't want to say the passing of Corey Udler, the, <laughs> he, he's very much alive. He's just no longer the host of our, our radio show anymore. Uh, we, we had, I, I, I'm still reeling from, uh, our final episode with, uh, Angelina, uh, Lee and, uh, Blade Braxton, Mr. Blade Braxton, who this week was in, uh, was at Cannes in, uh, France, uh, for, uh, with Troma for Return to Class in Newcomb High. Uh, he was part of that picture and he was there with Troma, uh, promoting it. And uh, hopefully, and I just kind of putting this out there, hopefully in the in the next couple shows we can bring him on and maybe I'll even be able to drag Mr. Udler by the scruff of his nuts onto the radio show so we can have another big, huge hurrah uh, talking to Blade about all the debauchery I'm sure him and the trauma crew went through debuting uh, Return to Newcomb High, which is a film um. that... We are ready for here at Astro Radio Z. Do we have a guest on? No, not yet, but I was going to make a comment. Like, if you need help finding the scruff of the nuts, I am a microbiologist and I'm qualified to find them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad, I'm glad that you can point me, you have a map of the nuts and the the approximate location of the scruff. I I, I was just, I don't know, my hands are really large. So I'm pretty mm. sure unless he's got elephantitis, I would just grab the whole thing. <laughs> I think if he had elephantitis of the balls, he'd probably be posting pics of them. Just from well, what I know. I know he'd be posting pics of them. And I would have seen <laughs> them a lot while we were at Cinema Wasteland. Trust me. <laughs> That's why I'm very excited to hear from Blade. And hopefully I'll talk to him this week, see if we can uh, get his uh, crazy ass on uh, Astro Radio Z and talk about all of the hijinks that him and the the trauma crew, I've been following them on uh, the (laughs) Facetron, and there's been some really interesting pics. And if uh, you all know Blade, as you are uh, avid listeners of Astro Radio Z, because my my inbox is constantly flooded with emails from the million and a half 
uh, listeners that we have in Slovenia um, that write to me constantly, pestering me about Blake Braxton, uh, you know that he has a story or three to tell. So, anyways, uh, let's see, what else do we have going on here? Uh, so the show has been kind of sporadic here and there. We've only really had one episode since our final episode with Mr. Udler, um, which was a couple of weeks ago, because... I am in the process, along with Corey and a few other filmmakers uh, that I know, uh, in the process of putting together and shooting uh, an anthology horror film called Hole in the Wall. Um, in two weeks, I'll be shooting uh, the wraparound segment called The Plainfield Chopper with a bunch of my great friends. I'm really looking forward to it. It's been a while since I've actually got behind the director's chair and and done anything <laughs> as I've been editing everybody else's stuff for the last three years. So I'm really excited about that, and I'm sorry that we haven't had uh, a weekly show in the last month. But you know what? Hopefully we'll have something even cooler than the show <laughs> in a few months when we finally get this film all together. Um, so, Dixie, what other yeah. kind of news you got for me? Um... Well, as a little sneak peek for to preak. Woo, I can talk. Peek for tomorrow's dungeon. Um, I will be talking about the Xbox One, which was revealed just yesterday. Oh and yeah, you're an Xbox 4. girl. I'm the Xbox girl, but I will do my best to compare with the information that I have now, as people are keeping it as hush hush as you can in this techno age until right. E3. so what are your initial thoughts of of the xbox one i gotta be honest none of the consoles so far this generation are even like piquing my interest in the slightest i honestly (laughs) think i'm just going to keep my ps3 for a while i I wouldn't blame you anyways just because i hate first gens they always have the bugs let's face it um i think to me personally, I feel like the one is a bit more invasive. I mean, I keep my Kinect turned off unless I'm playing a Kinect game. Right. And I don't like that it's, oh, yes, you just motion and the sensor's always on. And and I hate Internet Explorer anyway, so that's not a selling point. <laughs> well, it's also it's also that feeling. I don't know about you, but I, my laptop is a Mac. I work on MacBook Pro. And I always feel very self-conscious when I have a camera turned on, when my little green light's on at the top of my screen, I always feel very self-conscious that there's someone on the other end, well, looking at me. (laughs) Yeah, just think about the Kinect. It is the whole basis of its being is a camera. It's a web camera that's tracking you at every every moment. And I will wholeheartedly admit, I do game sometimes just wearing panties. Um, and I'm in my okay, living room. Okay, so what is your, what is your uh, gamer tag? <laughs> I, I want to write this out. <laughs> but remember, my connects turned off. Um, <laughs> I don't have so an I've Xbox anyway, so I, I would very, have to find some weird live stream. Yeah, like I said, various stages of dress as far as my living room. Because, you know, wake up, let the dogs out. I don't always think to throw on a robe. It's my fucking house. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't want the camera on all the time, whether my console's actively turned on or not. Ugh. Right, right. However, the the general consensus seems to be, like, what's going on in this round as opposed to, like, some astronomical hardware bump. We've kind of reached that plateau, as they say, where it's only going to get incrementally better 
uh, graphics-wise, and you're just going to get slight processor updates, um, that now they're, they're going to have to try and figure out, okay, what is the next thing that is going to bring this to be a more interactive forum, and it's social media. And to be honest, none of that is interesting to me at all when it comes to video games. My, my PS3, I play with my brother and a handful of other people, Maybe once a month, maybe, maybe once every other month. And it's basically a Blu-ray machine, a Netflix machine, and that's it. So all of this other stuff that they're, I mean, I, I am a Plus member, so I do get the free games that I download, and I have a 250-gig hard drive, so, I mean, it, it's, it's getting filled up because every week you get free games on Plus. Um, so the the idea of, and this is just from the PS4 perspective, of not having to download these games and maybe play them streaming, that's attractive, right. and I, I, I do like that. But really, nothing else is piquing me. Like, when I heard about the Xbox One, I was just like, meh, meh. And PS4, meh. And yeah. we, you, fuck that. <laughs> Who the fuck would want to pay for that thing? The Wii U looks really complicated. It's like, okay, you've got your Wii remote and this tablet, and I'm like, Did you try one? <laughs> I haven't actually tried one yet. I should at my local gaming store, but... Yeah, yeah. I went to Best Buy, and then at Best Buy I tried one for a while. I think I played the Rayman game, and um, I it did nothing for me at all. It just it kind of like... Ugh. It just oh <laughs> movie man marks in the in the chat telling me oh my you I'm sorry Mark <laughs> yeah you should graduate to the big leagues with the PlayStation and the Uh-oh. Xbox oh one of oh, our filmmakers even chimed in he has one as well well I'm not <laughs> damning all of you guys for having one I thought about buying one for a second until I played it and I'm like nah I don't <laughs> I think I'll keep my PS3. We do actually have Dan on the line. Or sorry, Don, my bad. I'm horrible. <laughs> Don, are you on the Dan? line right now? Was I just called Dan? I'm sorry. You can That's whip not me my if name. You want to, That's not my name at all. I know. Like I said, you can whip me if you want to, but that might turn me on. Just a warning. <laughs> yeah. This so I want to I want to jump into your your video game conversation. Uh, the PS4 is going to be awesome, mostly because uh, the fidelity the fidelity that you'll be able to achieve with the update game will be a billion times better. Um, my favorite game on on PlayStation 3 is the update game, seeing as it's the only game I can ever actually play on the damn thing. Where I turn it on and I've got a 45 minute system update. That's right. Uh, I'm pretty sure the PS4 is going to have the best update game ever. <laughs> Have you guys on your PlayStation played Defiance? No. What is it? No, okay. Well, Defiance? it goes in your update game. Defiance, yes, like the sci-fi okay, TV yeah. show. Because I popped that thing in, and I had an hour of updates, and this is only two weeks after release. Oh. An hour of updates, and then about 45 minutes to another hour of the patches. Or no, I'm sorry, an hour I, of download, and then an hour of patches. I got to yeah, be honest, a game. Dixie. There was there I there was another game that did that to me a while back called DC Universe Online, and every oh, time oh, oh, oh. I went to log that motherfucker in, I had to sit for like three hours. And eventually, when I finally got to play it, I'm just like, really? I waited for this. So exactly. I mean, I do like <laughs> the but it's just like 
No, this is what MMO gaming is going to be like on consoles. I'll keep it on my PC. Thank you very much. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. So, Don, uh, yes. welcome to the show tonight. I'm really Thank happy you. to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I'm really uh, glad that you you gave me the opportunity to watch what personally, I, I and I'm, I'm not here to just you know give you a blowjob or anything like that. Um, this year, to, to say that this year has been so far astronomically weak for quirky, independent, and or even just mainstream horror films is me being, <laughs> saying it very lightly. Um, motivational growth really blew me away. I thought it was a really fun, uh, subversive, heady movie. And uh, you don't get that very often anymore. Um why don't you why don't you kind of tell me a little bit about uh the genesis uh, of this film? Actually, I'm kind of I was I was under the distinct impression that there would be blowjobs. So, I don't oh, know how well, uh, how we proceed. My former my former uh co-host used to supply the blowjobs. <laughs> I unfortunately have retired from okay, blowjobs because fine. No, no, yeah, I'm here it, already. It's, it's fine. You can go ahead and do it. No, that's fine. I don't care. I don't care. At all. <laughs> I mean, I care, but I don't care. No, I'm just joking. Okay. No, so the idea for motivational growth, you, you want to know the idea story, right? That's the mm-hmm. question you asked, essentially, is where the yep. idea came up. Well, okay. <clears throat> um, the story, for those of you who haven't seen it, which is pretty much everyone since it's still on the festival circuit and not yet released to anybody, um, the, the story is about a gentleman who uh, who is he's agoraphobic. He's locked into his own – he locked himself into his own apartment and doesn't really leave. Uh, but to like answer the door for pizza delivery or grocery delivery or whatever. Uh, and he's formed a sort of, uh, powerful bond with his television. A television he names Kent, uh, who ends up, uh, dying in the very opening sequence of the film, which causes our main character to attempt suicide, uh, which he fails at as he fails at most things. And when he awakes, he finds himself face to face with a large chunk of fungus. That has been growing in his decrepit bathroom, and this this large chunk of fungus uh, begins speaking to him. And that that chunk chunk of fungus is the titular motivational growth, because the fungus the fungus has a plan for him, uh, which may or may not get his life back together, uh, or, and also may or may not involve uh, murder and terrible, horrible things. Uh, <clears throat> so the idea, uh, to answer your question, the idea came from. Um, it's actually two ideas that I uh, threw together uh, to make one meta idea when uh, we, I actually had a completely other film that I wanted to make. And I was uh, attempting to get budget for it. And uh, over the course of fundraising, I was only able to raise about a third of what I wanted for this bigger, better, amazing film, uh, but still had enough money to make a film. I went back to the annals of, um, you know, ideas, although the, I have a little book that I keep all my little, weird ass ideas in. and uh in that book I found the idea of a uh, gentleman having a personal relationship with his television and I also found the idea of the uh, fungus in one's bathroom speaking to someone and uh those two ideas together make motivational growth but those two ideas came from I think 1998 <laughs> probably both of them I was in Los Angeles uh attempting to be a uh, film person uh, and instead becoming like a PA and a, you know, water getter and all that stuff. And uh, I was duper depressed and uh, I was staying at the time with this Australian lady and 
and she, she was my roommate, but I'd only rented the room. Like I, I couldn't afford the like half of the house. So I just rented the room and it was yep. very clear that I couldn't actually go into the living room ever. Um, and, and if I was caught in the living room, cause I went to the living room all the time, but if I was caught in the living room. Uh, there was always this weird moment where she's, she was super busy and she'd just stop and she'd go, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, watching the television. And she'd go, we'll talk about this later. And I leave. We never talked about it once. But one night I'm, um, I'm, I'm in my underwear watching television. Uh, in the middle of the 4 a.m. I'm watching Telemundo or some crazy shit in, uh, Los Angeles. And, uh, I was just thinking like, this is what I've got. This is my whole life right now. And if this television were to die, I'd probably fucking off myself. And uh, so I thought, you know, that that could be an idea. And I wrote that down. And then uh, I took on these odd jobs because being a, a production assistant wasn't wasn't paying anything. So I took on all these weird odd surprise, jobs. Surprise, surprise. On... Pardon? Surprise, surprise. Oh, yeah, right? They, they pay you like 30 bucks, and the, the gas required to get into the canyon to shoot the stupid Western movie is $19 a gas. You know what I mean? Like it's, right. it's a big mess. So um, I uh, I was taking on these odd jobs, and one of them was this weird uh, tutor thing. This is the shifty web website that lets you sign up to be a tutor. And I'm super into chess, so I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna tutor some chess. So I go to tutor this chess, and uh, this guy invites me to a sushi restaurant to help him learn chess. So I go to the sushi restaurant, only to find out that this website is not in fact uh, on the up and up. It is a uh, dudes connecting with dudes website, and not in fact a tutoring website. So I'm sitting across this dude. And uh, he's uh, he's got a plate full of sushi, and I've ordered some sushi, and I haven't eaten in like four days, so I'm gonna get out of this meeting with uh, fucking sushi no matter what. But um, he he, he doesn't want to play chess; he wants to, uh, you know, go back to his place. So uh, I explained to him that you know I, I'm willing to do chess and I'm willing to eat his sushi, but I'm definitely not willing to um, give him a, give him a beecher or anything. So. Uh, he uh, he says it's cool, it's cool, it's cool, and then he leaves the 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 table for a few minutes. He's gonna go do something out back, uh, which I, I later find out is uh, drugs. He's doing out back, and while he's gone, I eat all of his sushi because I'm starving and I haven't really eaten in a few days. So he comes back completely blasted out of his mind, uh, and that's cool because he's he's not only not noticed that he's eaten all of his sushi, but he's also uh, seems to have forgotten about the like trying to hook up with me thing. But he did ask me if I'd ever thought the cock in my bathroom was talking to me, <laughs> uh, which, of course, became uh, idea number two. So I put that idea down in my little book and jumped to 12 years later, and uh, there you go. It's not as adventurous or as exciting as the uh, the film, I'm sure, because though it's fun to say, reality is not always as strange as or stranger than fiction. Uh, so the movie had to be weirder than that. So I, I, I went weird with it, which I'm sure you'd uh, you'd agree has succeeded with in the film. Wholeheartedly, it was uh, I. There was a few elements to it that uh, <laughs> really appealed to me, but uh, one thing that that hit me right off the bat, and maybe I shouldn't say right off the bat because it doesn't happen until like ten, fifteen minutes in, is uh, the. The thing that you have that is the, the mold, it it, uh, it obviously uh, it's it's built uh, so we we can have we can say this out there. You have the one and only Jeffrey Combs as the voice yes. of, of your puppet mold, which obviously any horror fans going going to geek over. Um, oh hell yeah! Amazing. I geeked over. Yeah. 
Um, and this element, because the performance that he gives and the voice uh, that he does reminded me so much of Elmer from Brain Damage. And uh, it was, I was smiling from ear to ear every time it was on. <laughs> right. Because it reminded me so much of it. How did you, how were you able to accost uh, Jeffrey Combs and bring him into the project? Uh, you know, I, there's a story that I tell at film festivals that you'll have to, you'll have to go to either Crypticon this weekend or some other film festival that Motivational Growth is playing at that's a bit more uh, racy and something that isn't normally recorded, which uh, uh, I'll be happy to tell at a film festival. But I can tell you. That, uh, you can say whatever you want, Don. This is 100% open. You can say whatever the fuck no, you no, want No, 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 it's not show. racy that way. It's racy in so much as I don't want to get a, a lawyer letter from somebody. Oh, right on. Uh, however, I can tell you that the end result was eventually uh, a script was in Jeffrey Combs' hand, uh, which was surprising in and of itself as he was the uh, first choice. Uh, and we are not – we're not a big movie outfit. I mean, we are a, a, you know, a film company, and we've we've done some – we, we, this is our first feature with this company, but we've done some commercials and uh, we've done some, you know, shorts, award-winning shorts. Uh, we did a commercial uh, just at the end of last year that was called by PC Gamer Magazine the commercial of the year. So, like, we, we've done a couple of cool things, but we're not. It's not. We can't just call up Jeffrey Combs. Like that's you know, that's, right? Yeah, people you got to go through and all this other stuff. But eventually, after. Uh, big long uh, series of events, events, which are probably super interesting, but like I said, I don't really know what I want to say. Um, we, uh, he, he apparently read it on a plane going from point A to point B. I think he was going to a convention or something. And he liked it so much that, uh, so the story goes, he uh, read it again on the way back. And after that, I got a phone call from his agent who said, hey, listen, I've got Jeff on the line. And then from that point forward, we just, we just made it happen. Um, he really liked the story. So I guess I could kind of pull one of those um, Quentin Tarantino things and say like, oh yeah, we got Jeff Combs because we have a great script. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. Uh, I, I I was actually very surprised. Uh, he was my first choice, and we shot. We thought shoot for the moon, and uh, the moon responded. It was really cool. What I'd like to point out, though, which is probably far more interesting than listening to me prattle on about stuff I can't, I can't say. I guess um, what's far more interesting is uh, actually working with him which uh, I, I have to admit, I am like the biggest Jeffrey Combs fan ever. If, if you like Jeffrey Combs, I like him more. And uh, I, I've been, like every character he's ever played has been a huge influence on me. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big, I just, he's such an amazing actor, right? So uh, yeah. being able to work with him was great, but you know, I can't roll in there. I can't roll into the studio to record him and be all like, OMG, can you sign my tits? Like that doesn't work. Right. I've, I've got to be like the director. <laughs> So uh, and I can you know I, I've directed stuff and I, I I'm pretty professional and when it when it comes to shooting stuff but uh, not when it comes to meeting somebody who I've like idolized forever. Right. So uh, what I like to point out though is after after you know once we introduced each other and there was a little bit of you know does this guy know what he's talking about you know I'm sure Jeff felt after he realized that I I understood what I was talking about and you know had a clear goal and a you know a, a clear uh, plan. He slipped into it, and, and I thought, how awesome is it? How, what a great testament to this performer who's worked with Peter Jackson and who's worked with, you know, uh, Stuart Gordon and who's been in, yep. you know, 900, like, I think, what, like 98 <laughs> amazing movies? Yeah. What a great testament to this guy that he'll sit there across the glass from me in a studio and just fucking deliver, just deliver hardcore uh, for essentially 
a, a piece, you don't see his face. That's just his voice. Yep. Uh, you're talking about his performance specifically. He he delivered a, a fully fleshed out character. He delivered it consistently and constantly, and he did so for somebody who you know has no name at, at the time. So it's a it was a huge testament to his ability as a a professional person to say nothing of his ability to perform amazing roles and to be in some of the coolest movies ever made. He's also just a straight up amazing performer. I was, I was stunned. I honestly thought that I was going to roll in and dude was going to be like, son, I've been in a million movies and you're nothing. And I'll just talk. And honestly, at the time I was thinking, shit, that might be enough because it's Jeff Holmes, but but he, (laughs) he delivered a memorable performance that I think is, is unlike anything he's done before and really stands out, which Again, another testament to how amazing that guy was. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, but I, I think Jeffrey Combs' catalog of film kind of speaks towards um, – he, he, he seems like a very humble individual. I mean, he's he's doing everything from, from big films to uh, sequels of uh, reboots of uh, Night of the Living Dead films, for Christ's sake. Right. So, I mean yeah. – the guy obviously is willing and receptive to go there, but I think another element to, to not only his performance is the fact that you guys really put together a solid puppet for his character. Now, uh, how difficult was that to put? Are you familiar with with puppetry and how? I mean, did, did that take a lot to kind of put together and get working the way you wanted it to work? I can I can tell you that it, for me it was super duper easy. I just found a great guy. <laughs> I found uh, Steve Tolan from Tolan Effects in Pittsburgh. Uh, this guy had been doing a bunch of really cool uh, film effects and stage effects, and uh, I, I pitched him the idea. And the reason I went with him was because he had been doing this uh, stage play, The Lieutenant of Inishmore, which requires all of this live blood effect stuff and all of these live effects to go off. Uh, you know, every night for 200 nights straight. Uh, and I knew that I had such a small budget that I didn't have time to, to shoot and reshoot and reshoot something that didn't work, right? So I went with this guy, uh, not only because his work was amazing, he does really cool sculpting, uh, but but because he, I knew that he could deliver a one-and-done situation. He could put together something that would work, and it would always work. So with the mold, I, I sat with him and, you know, we pitched back and forth ideas and came up with uh, the, the shape and the general look. And actually, the mold you see in the final film, uh, I'm sorry, the final mold you see in the film is, is a combination of the three best versions of the mold that we found. One of them was a little too mushroomy. One of them was a little too fuzzy. One of them was a little too stretched, you know, all that kind of stuff. We, we, we finally settled on the mold as he is in the film. And uh, to my, honestly, to my surprise, uh, because, it, you know, we don't have the biggest budget on earth. Um, uh-huh. I, I, honestly, to my surprise, when, he, when they brought the mold in and they first set him up and the puppeteers had warmed up and done their, you know, exercises and got the thing going, uh, it was stunning. It was shocking to see this thing. It was, it was a hundred times better than I'd expected. And I expected uh-huh. a lot. And um, yeah. there are people who don't like the film. Uh, they're actually a lot fewer than I expected, but they exist. But I've never once, even though I've heard, I've read, uh, you know, I didn't like this character. I didn't like this. Or I thought, you know, the third act, whatever. They, I didn't like the ending. I've, nobody has ever said 50% of the movie is a fucking animatronic fungus. And it sucked. Nobody said that. 
Like, Dude, it's convincing. So, that's why you guys, right. so you guys won, really right? like, something you know, together. If, was... if one of my main characters is a is a piece of silicone, uh, you know, like foam foam silicone, I, I think I've I've won. <laughs> that's not what you're pointing out, you know. Right. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty cool. It, it's a twelve mechanism uh, animatronic. It, it had three puppeteers. Uh, Steve Tolan himself was the primary puppeteer. Uh, Monster Midian Crosby from Monster Makeup Effects in Colorado was uh, another puppeteer. And the third puppeteer uh, was Jeff Waltrowski, who himself is a, a really awesome film director. Uh, he stepped in to help out with uh, Steve. He knows Steve Tolan and, and Midian. So uh, I actually had, not only was the puppet really well done, but the talent behind it was, was amazing. You'll see a lot of flourishes and stuff in the movie. Uh, the, the fungus's face doesn't just like open and close like a, like a mouth. It's got a whole you know, a whole set of human expressions that it can, can go through. Uh, and it does so with such virility and, and, and beauty because of the people involved in it. We have, you know, uh, uh, Steve Tolan, the awesome effects dude himself. Uh, we have Monster Midian, who, uh, who who takes her name from Midian, where the monsters come from. And we have uh, Jeff Oltrowski himself, a huge sci-fi nerd and uh, filmmaker. So you've got, it's not just people that are doing a job. You've got people there ready to make something amazing. So Absolutely. as you can see from the film, it totally works. And yeah. honestly, it's one of the best things. It, it's one of the things that works best in the film, uh, which is good because it's mostly about that thing. So, right. You know, if if, well, if, if the T-Rex didn't work in Jurassic Park, there'd be some troubles. Yeah, no shit. Right. Well, there was, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, I think maybe some of, some of the issue a lot of people have, they have no patience for movies anymore. And I think mm-hmm. your film really, really deserves attention like it, it it demands the viewer to kind of step back because its presentation is almost theatrical where yeah. you're you're kind of like sitting having a monologue with a character for a couple hours and weird shit is happening around him while you get inside of his head now there was one other element i kind of wanted to talk about which kind of brings us back around to what we started talking about video games is that there's a there's a, a tremendously huge at least at the beginning of the film uh there are sections of uh eight bit to sixteen bit graphical passages in the film. Now where did where did that come from and what inspired you to introduce that into the film? Well let me actually speak to both uh both points because uh they kind of lead into each other just like your the, the points the two points you made do. Um I want to start with the, the, the theatricality and the, the sort of patience part, which will lead to the, uh, the video game thing, I think, pretty cleanly. Um, it, I, it, the, the patience, the, re, the, the requirement for patience is wholly intentional. Um, I've had people say, you know, uh, well, you know, I think you could get to the, the suicide attempt a little, a little faster. And I agree. You totally could. I, I totally could make, I could make the fastest movie ever. I could make this movie a 70-minute movie, and you would not – feel the things you feel for the main character by the end of the film. We have a deplorable character that you, by the end of the film, even in a, a semi-deplorable state, you, you're rooting for the guy. And you just can't have that without first giving you the, the, the lowest point in this guy's life. So for the first 12 minutes of the movie, I, I basically hit you over the head with this guy's life is boring and he's sitting there watching TV a lot. I mean, that's, that's that's a lot of the, the opening of the film. Like I said, it's engineered for 12 minutes. If at the end of 12 minutes you're you're a little off and you don't you kind of don't know what to think and 
you don't like the dude very much, I've done my job. You know, I'm not failing. I'm not, like, missing the bus. Well, absolutely, Don. It's essential. I think it, it completely sets up the demeanor and the personality right. and the tone of this character. If you didn't have that, because I'm I'm personally a fan, and I mean, I grew up watching slow burn films, so right. things like this don't bother me in the slightest. But I think in the, we're in the age now where let's just throw this out there, and I mean, I. Always put a caveat. I know a ton of people love this stuff, but me personally, it just does nothing for me. The the new remake of The Evil Dead is like the perfect example of just like completely having not taking time with anything. We have to rush right. into fucking everything. In yeah, handle. there's no mythos. There's no. It's just like boom, boom, boom. We're in it. And I yeah. get, you know, I I get that some people want that, but I really wanted you to at the end of my film, I wanted you to to find a guy who. Even in his state at the end of the film, uh, would be a guy that if you met him in real life, you probably wouldn't want like this dude. I need right. you to be rooting for him, and the only way I can get you rooting for him, and the only way I can speed things up at the end is to have him really slow at the start. And that's another point, you know. Uh, and then I think this will lead directly into the video game stuff. Uh, I didn't have a lot to work with. You know, we didn't have a big yeah. budget. We didn't have a, a ton of sets. So instead of instead of giving you like starting you out at normal speed and then speeding up to like starship warp speed i had to start you out a little bit slower and speed you up to what we could afford to speed you up like by the end yeah. of the film your mind is blown and you're like oh my god all this crap happened and really like eight things happened that's about it but they happened at such a clip after you got used to a certain pace you know what i'm saying like i yeah i i give you an ambient pace that you get used to and then i ramp it up it's because i yeah. wanted to go deeper rather than farther because i really couldn't afford to go too much farther than we did uh, mm -hmm. So how the video games work into all this is the main character watches television all the time. Uh, that's all he does at the beginning of the film. And the film takes place in 1991. There are a million clues in the movie that, to tell you that it's 1991. We don't pop a title card and say, this is 1991. But, you know, if, if, you, if you're from the, the late 80s, early 90s, you'll get that it's from 1991. Absolutely. Quick. And for me, the, the early 90s were defined almost entirely by 16-bit video games. That's what I spent my whole life doing. We couldn't have him playing games, because if he's playing games, then, you know, he's not a lump on the couch. But we definitely could advertise video games. And there were elements in the film that he travels through uh, the television. He travels into the television stuff. And I thought, wouldn't it be the coolest thing in the world if I could get this guy to travel into a video game? Uh, which he does in the film. Um, but to do that, I had to establish up front that, you know, this guy's going to see some TV game commercials, or some video game commercials on the TV. So... Uh, we, we thought that what, what, what better way could we possibly, like, if you didn't get the KMFDM uh, poster on the wall and you didn't get the <laughs> reference where he says, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry just died, which he died in 1991. If you don't yeah. have these, if you don't get these references, you're sure as hell going to get that he's in a 16-bit shoot-em-up game. You know, yeah. he's in, a, he's in essential, essentially blazing lasers or something. Like, that's going to stand out to you. Uh, and you're gonna, it's going to give you some of the feel for that, that, that period. Uh, I, you know, I didn't think about it when I was making it, but I, it's essentially a period piece. So the video game thing really helps that. It also helps uh, drive home something that I wanted. I wanted it to feel contained, and I wanted it to feel 90s, like early 90s, not like late 90s grungy or whatever, but, but early 90s. And, and one of the, the tools we used for that was the soundtrack, which is composed entirely from chip music. Uh, there's a the composer we, we work with regularly. His name is Alex Maurer. He, uh, he, you can find him on Wikipedia as the first guy ever to release an entire album on an NES card. Uh, 
Um, the the entire soundtrack was made with the sound chips from a Nintendo Nintendo mm-hmm. Entertainment System, uh, an yeah. NES, and a Commodore 64. See, the NES has a very familiar tone to anybody from that period of time. You'll you'll know immediately. You're listening to you know Nintendo sounds, uh, yeah. but it doesn't it doesn't do bass very well. The Commodore 64, however, does amazing analog, big, fat, ugly bass. So we yeah. combine the two to do the entire soundtrack. And as I as I as I know it, I think we are the uh, the first uh, film to be scored entirely from uh, chip tunes, uh, especially them being legit chip tunes and not emulated chip tunes. So the game thing is a huge deal. Mostly though, I think I'd like to throw out that uh, I, I'm not going to lie. It's just mostly because I'm a huge game nerd. So getting games <laughs> into the movie had to happen. Absolutely, for sure. Well, I I have to say it. I absolutely appreciated it. I thought the sound design and uh, the your your score were really really well done. I I thought just the, overall, you I mean, you could tell. I mean, and this isn't a slam by any means. You could tell that you guys were working within a specific budget, but yeah. you maximized it so well and, and used you. that budget in the perfect ways. Thank you. Um, the, the sound was actually designed. We lucked out so hard uh, because, you know, pretty much everything we did was super-duper indie, but our sound was actually designed by a gentleman named Warren Hendricks, uh, whose name, if you were to look up on IMDb, you would see uh, that gentleman uh, did the sound design for Transformers, uh, Michael Bay's Transformers, as well as <laughs> Tron uh, Legacy, uh, Superman Returns, and uh, Tropic Thunder, a whole bunch of really big-ticket pictures. And it was only through a really awesome series of events that we ended up with him. Uh, and, and again, just like with Jeff Combs, um, it was, you know, he got the script and read the script. And he loved some it. Of the footage. And he loved it. And he, he did it That's out awesome. of his... Uh, his desire to help out, you know, a, a piece of art, which I thought was, again, just like with Jeff, it was a super testament to, to his his uh, desire to to make art. Well, I'm definitely going to be a champion for this film. I I awesome. thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, there, it's it's like I said, this year, honestly, has sucked <laughs> so badly with with films. I think I think the mainstream to me is dead. There's nothing that's been coming out that's been worth a damn other than, uh, as I said, uh, our last episode. I re- I don't know if you've seen it yet, Don. I really enjoyed Lords of Salem. I thought that was a really cool. great slow burn film, and John Five did a great job on this really atmospheric soundtrack. But other right than on. that, i got to say, motivational growth was top shelf, and I, I want to thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to see it. And coming on our show and uh, being able to sit and talk to us and and let uh, and maybe expose it to a lot more people now. Where can people finally see this? Or do you guys have a, a distribution plan set up, or are you guys still kind of shopping it around? We're shopping it around. We're doing the the distribution cage match right now, where we've got distribution companies arguing at us that they're better and their price is better and blah blah blah. So we're currently working that out. The business part portion of my company is working that out. Um, you can see the preview, obviously, uh, at motivationalgrowth.com. You can see a whole bunch of pictures and behind-the-scenes stuff and all that kind of good stuff. Also, we regularly, and by regularly, I mean pretty much daily, update our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash motivationalgrowth. Uh, the Mold himself uh, tweets regularly. It's uh, <laughs> at, at sign uh, the underscore mold. 
uh, Imagos Films, my my company that's I M A G O S uh, F I L M S Imagos Films. We have imagosfilms.com, facebook.com/imagosfilms. We also tweet under Imagos Films. Um, so there's a lot going on. You can, you can pay attention to it. As far as seeing it live, if you are in the uh, the Seattle area for uh, this weekend, we're going to be showing it at Crypticon in a double feature with an, uh, an awesome. You were talking about slow burn features with, with an awesome slow burn feature called Seder Ridge. Uh, which I think you you have the Say the Rich guys coming up, right? Yeah, um, they're actually on the line right now. So as soon as oh, we, we get done chatting, we'll we'll have a word with them. But go ahead and finish finish up your plugs, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, they uh they're, they're going to be playing with us in a double feature uh, at Crypticon uh, Seattle uh, at Saturday or Saturday at 10 p.m. Uh, is is the whole uh, double feature. But if you got the tickets to Crypticon already, we're doing. Uh, we're all going to be on a director's film director's panel as well at nine nine p.m. So you get a massive package if you like uh, horror films. Uh, come to Crypticon and not only enjoy all of Crypticon, but get to see a, a huge uh, director's panel plus a double feature with motivational growth and Seder Ridge. Uh, we actually played with Seder Ridge in uh, Idaho at the Sun Valley Film Festival, and again uh, at the Seattle True Independent Film Festival, where Seder Ridge won the Audience Award. And motivational growth won the uh, best feature award. So uh, we've been we've kind of had like a a pairing since Idaho, where you know we we tend to be good luck good luck for each other. Uh, other than that, we're going to be playing in Texas at the Oak Cliff Film Festival uh, in the middle of June, and we've got a whole bunch of other festival stuff. That like I said, if you go to Facebook.com/slash motivational growth, we'll we'll keep that updated. But hopefully, if all goes well, we'll have video on demand sometime this year and eventually some physical media. So that's where we are with that. That's awesome. I'm I'm hoping uh, people get the chance to finally see this, that you guys get picked up. You obviously deserve it. Uh, the Thank you. The is, show is top shelf. Crypticon is always a fun uh, uh, convention. I uh, uh, Two years ago in uh, Minneapolis, we uh, had a screening of our film, Swamphead, there, and uh, it had a great response. Um, I always like the people that are involved with the Crypticons. I think I think they're good people. They put together a, a decent show in the land of oversaturation of uh, conventions nowadays. It's, uh, yeah. it's good to see good people uh, putting together shows that care about the indie guys, where most shows now seem to be about star-fucking. You know, let's bring out right. Walking Dead and let's get Norman Reedus out here and, and bring all these obnoxious mass market bullshit people in and, and completely shroud out the indie guys who get shoved into a corner and nobody pays attention to them. So it's always great to see good cons like uh, Crypticon out there uh, promoting amazing films like Motivational Growth. And also amazing films like like Santa Ridge, which we have on the line. We have Mr. Jeremy Berg and John Portanova. I hope I'm saying that right, John. Um, I want to thank you for coming on uh, to Astro Radio Z. Yeah, no problem. I'm saying it uh, perfectly. Awesome. Uh, that, that makes me happy. I, uh, I'm terrible with names, so if, uh, if I fuck <laughs> something up, just let me know. No, it's fine. One thing that is funny, though, is the movie title, it's actually Seder Ridge, but we've heard okay. quite a few people say Satter, and the movie has a lot of crying in it, so we kind of think that it's awesome. Like, if there's a sequel, it will be Satter Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, as as uh, Don was saying, um, this also, I, I don't think we could find two more diametrically, like, opposed films 
uh, content-wise. I think pace-wise, they, they kind of they they both take their time. They're very methodical about uh, telling the tale that they want to tell, and they don't give a fuck about having to spoon feed that story to you. But uh, Satter Ridge is a completely different beast than motivational growth. Uh, it's uh, I think you guys. Uh, had a really I'm a, like I said before I'm a, a big fan of slow burn films it's it's beautifully shot in a very amazing minimalist score now uh, one thing that I always like about horror films that are trying to go the atmospheric route and one of my favorite films of all time is uh, uh Todd Browning's Dracula that most people mm-hmm. don't realize there's no score in that fucking film whatsoever they're just convinced right. that there's there's a score over top of the entire thing, and then they had to go in uh, the early 2000s, late 90s, and fuck it up by putting a Philip Glass score over the entire thing. <laughs> but one thing that, that jumped out at me about uh, Seder Ridge was there was very little to no score whatsoever, and my interest was there the whole time. Now, what what was the genesis behind this project? Because I know you guys have been putting together the October people, uh, your production head, have been putting together kind of like the slower burn, more atmospheric uh, films. Um, what going into uh, Seder Ridge? What were you guys looking to accomplish with this film? Um, uh, that's a good well, question. I think, uh, we really wanted to like show what we were capable of with Theta Ridge, and we didn't really have a lot of resources, as John will attest to. Um, and so it's sort of a situation where we have, you know, X amount of money, we have X amount of time, uh, we have uh, these people uh, that we have contacts with. Uh, one of our producers, Maddie, has a piece of property in California. So it's sort of uh, taking all these things and putting them together and saying, now what kind of movie do we want to make with these resources intact? Um and I'm like you, I really love the slow burn, you know, horror films. I love films that really take their time. I, I reference a lot, like, movies like Rosemary's Baby, you know, where it's like you're not really sure all the time of what's going on, but you're pretty sure nothing good is going to happen. Yeah, right. So uh, that was, like, a big influence uh, for me, at least. And I know that um, uh, my buddies, my uh, October people, are also into those kind of movies as well. So, Yeah. So, yeah, so think, you guys, Jeremy and John, you both wrote this together. Um, was this something where one of you kind of uh, came up with an idea and you kind of riffed off each other? Or, I mean, what was that relationship like? Well, uh, Jeremy and I have been working together for a little while. We've made a lot of short films, um, and that kind of led us to decide to uh, do the feature because with the short films we were realizing, like, yeah, they're – they're good quality. Some people are seeing them, but not a lot of people. And uh, what do people watch? What do distributors look for? Feature films. So that's what we tried to kind of like put that effort into a feature. And so actually what happened with uh, the story of Seder Ridge, um, it was thought up by Jeremy along with our other producer, Matt Medish, um, because Matt had this piece of land. We actually shot the movie in the house that Matt grew up in and that Jeremy would go and like play when they were, you know, in junior high or whatever. Um, and so they came up with the basic story. And then as far as the actual writing of the script, that was where I came in, and we all three of us, like, developed the story from their, like, kernel and developed the characters. And then we just did this thing where we knew we had the money. Like, this was 
ridiculously low budget. We had $11,000 to make this movie, and we shot it in seven days. And we knew when when we had the seven days to shoot it. And so we knew that by a certain date, we shot it in January. So we are like, okay, by the end of October, at the absolute latest, we have to have a script done. So during the summer, we're hashing out the story. We're writing the script. And it's just really a back-and-forth thing. Jeremy and I both live in Seattle, but I'm very much north in the city, and he's very south. And so we weren't hanging out together and writing. Um, we had this really strong outline that the three of us had hammered out. And so what we would do is Jeremy would, you know, looking at the outline and on, like, you know, his day to write, you know, in quotes, uh, you see um, he would do, like, three pages. And he would send that to me. And the next day when it was my turn to write, um, I would revise his pages and write my pages. And we just went back and forth like that, and that's how the first draft was accomplished. When we got into rewriting to really hone it, um, then we would meet up and be at each other's houses just cutting it down. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just totally brain farted there for a second. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. I can do it. No, before before we get too far into uh, the process, one do you, one of you guys want to kind of summarize what the film is, so that our audience, who obviously sees how it's kind of on the festival circuit right now, so they can kind of know what Seder Ridge is. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a psychological horror movie, as you were saying before, um, and it's about uh, this girl, our, our uh, protagonist Sam, who inherits a house from. Um, uh, her original family. She's a foster child. Uh, so she goes out there to uh, see this house, bring some friends, um, and uh, while they're out there, they meet a caretaker on the land, and as it turns out, the caretaker uh, happens to have known her when she's a child, but she doesn't remember any of this. It kind of opens uh, a door to a lot of things, uh, like memories resurfacing. And uh, our big goal with this kind of film was to uh, take a lot of those conventions you know, that you're used to seeing, especially you're talking about, like, uh, mainstream movies now and how they're so, like, void of creativity. Um, I mean, you're used to seeing a lot of these things just over and over and over again, uh, but we wanted to make uh, a movie with those conventions but do it the way that sort of would make sense or be realistic. Like, in most horror movies, it's like you have a group of friends, but there's no way in hell, like, those friends would ever actually know each other or be friends right. with each other, you know? <laughs> And so it was like, uh, that was a big thing for us because we, we love uh, character and stuff. Like, the way into the story is always a character. Like, if you don't care about the characters, then why do you care what's going on? So we wanted to make a, a set of friends that were believable, that were real, so that when shit started happening, you really felt it and you really started to care. Um, so that was kind of what we wanted to do with the pitch. And it's, it's funny you mentioned, like, the, the remake of Evil Dead because it was exactly like that. Like, I was watching the Evil Dead remake, and that first, like, you know, three or four scenes where all the characters are introducing each other, it was just eye-rolling. Like, I've seen yeah. this one billion times, you know what I mean? There's like, no, yeah. it's like, hey, I'm the jock. Hey, I'm the smart kid, you know? It's like that. <laughs> the same thing you've seen a hundred times. the kind of thing times. that uh, Cabin in the Woods made fun of. Exactly. So it was funny to see that totally lampoon that convention and then hear, like, a, a year, year and a half later, like, they're just going off willy-nilly and, like, just going full bore into that same convention. So I don't know if anybody would be able to do that again. Well, I I got to say that I the film, like, as we've already pounded into the dirt, I'm a fan of slow-burn films, but I think um, you were the DP on this feature, right? Uh, yes. 
it, it, the the cinematography right off the bat. It, it, it for did you guys shoot this on a DSLR? I did actually. I shot it on a Canon 60D, but we also had a really nice lens, so that's kind of where you know kind of made up for some of the lack of quality of the sensor. But yeah, I think it turned out really nice. Well, I I think you know this is this is something that I try to pound into uh, upcoming filmmakers and aspiring filmmakers is that um, if, if you are stuck in the DSLR route and that's where you want to go, make sure that you're able to get a hold of prime lenses and you're able to just sit and actually work with somebody that knows how knows lenses and knows cameras because uh, you can really make those cameras sing. And I think you did a really good job getting some really nice wide-angle well, master shots. And uh, the, none of the shots were ever stock two people just profile talking to each other against a stark black wall or a stark white wall. It was uh, there well, was always nice soft focus. <laughs> you guys had a lot of stuff going on. So right there for an indie feature to one have good sound design going on and two an interesting story where where the characters felt real and genuine and then three nice looking visuals. I mean, you guys had a lot going right off the bat. You guys had me right off the bat with the film. So i got to say congrats and kudos. You guys did a really good job. Uh, thank, thank you so much. Yeah, it's awesome to hear you, yeah. you enjoyed it. We're really proud of it. It's pretty fantastic, you know. Well, as much as kind of get the kind of feedback that we're getting out of it, you know, it's like the, that little movie that could. We never really knew, like, how far it would go or how much we'd get out of it. But uh, we just keep pushing it, and people are really responding, so... And uh, Did you have one thing you wanted with, to say, John. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I feel like no, I keep saying right two words, and then format. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> um, no, one thing I wanted to say is that Jeremy did a very good job with cinematography, and that's normally something you don't see that a director is his own DP. And it's actually kind of fortunate that Jeremy just happens to be like an awesome DP because originally our plan was that there it was going to be two different positions. And we had such a tight schedule, like I said before, that even our travel schedule was really tight. We um, cast the movie and crewed up a lot of the movie in Seattle, and the plot of land was in Red Bluff, California. So we had, like, a couple-day road trip to get down, um, and we needed to leave on a certain day. And since we were filming in January, it happened to be the one day that there was a giant snowstorm. And our (laughs) DP was in a much smaller town, and he calls me that morning, like, we're supposed to leave that night. And he's like, I can't leave my house. Can you guys come get me? And I was like, man, if you can't get out of your house, we can't get to you. We're gonna, And we can't afford to get stuck, so we just have to leave. Yeah. And uh, so on the drive down, like, as Jeremy's preparing for, you know, his first feature as a director that he has to shoot in seven days, uh, suddenly it's like, oh, uh, we don't have a DP. What are we going to do about that? And he just said, well, I guess I'll shoot it. And he did a great job. In the past, there's been times where I've directed a short and Jeremy was the DP, and he's very adept at doing that. And so uh, luckily, with our situation, he had spent a lot of time with the actors rehearsing beforehand. And I think that's where a lot of the great performances came from, Uh, you know, great actors as well as a lot of rehearsal time. And so he was able on set to take control of the camera and make sure we got those really good visuals that sort of make us stand out from a lot of the, uh, you know, people in a corner talking to each other and then some blood splashes on them kind of movies. No shit, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think you guys did a really great job. 
with that, making bringing out a lot and on a very tight schedule. You guys said seven days. Now I'm familiar with that kind of schedule. We shot with a dear friend of mine, um, Jason Paul Collum. We shot a, a film last summer called Safe Inside in six days, and uh, nice. those were twenty twenty hour fucking days, and uh, that's not an easy feat. I mean, that's a matter of having a, a good line producer, keeping your crew fed, having uh, uh, just everybody on point at all times. Now, did you guys have uh, any stragglers, or, or did you pretty much have a pretty tight crew that were just willing to go for it and no complainers and just let's rock and roll? No, we had a great crew. I mean, we had a crew that, like, everybody just really got along, you know. Uh, everybody really loved each other. Um, we had our producer, Matt Medish, who was just fantastic. He was exactly what you said, like keeping everybody like on point, like taking care of any problems that surfaced at the time, not letting it, you know, spin out of control or affect the shooting schedule. Um, but everybody was just into it. Like they, it was, it was really sort of like a dream scenario. Um, I had an editor on set, which was fantastic. It, um, that makes we a big to, fucking plus, dude. That, I oh was, because I'm an, I'm an editor by trade, and I was the editor on that set. So it's just like you don't know how – I mean, I think most people, they, especially the lower-budget guys, they, they they kind of skip on a few things. One is always sound. They always – nobody ever wants to bring a, a decent sound guy in, so they have some PA that doesn't know how to fucking – that points the, the microphone off into some corner – uh, doing their fucking sound, so that's why half the movie sound fucking blows. And then having yeah. an actual editor on set is so invaluable because you can watch the dailies immediately now. Oh my gosh, yeah, I had never even considered it to be honest with you. It was just sort of a matter of convenience that uh, our editor, uh, this girl that Matt has known for a long time, uh, best friends with his wife actually, and I've known her for a while too, Autumn Cunningham. She's uh, she was uh, been in the Hollywood system for a while doing some bigger movies, but usually as an assistant editor and then taking over editing um, some other projects as well. And she has had time to kill. She was like, you know, you guys are my friends. You're doing this thing. Like, why don't I come and help? So she showed up. She edited, and it was funny because she was really scared at the same time because she was like, these guys, eleven thousand dollars. They're shooting in seven days. Like, what am I getting myself into? What if I what if I go there and this whole thing just falls apart? And it's funny because I think, you know, it wasn't even that long into it. It was like uh, day two or day three. She comes up to me and she's like, this set is amazing. This is like an artist's retreat. Everybody's just so into what they're doing and they're enjoying the, you know, the process. And, yeah, it was a little lovey-dovey. Yeah, it's kind of funny to come out with such a slow burn like horror movie in that kind of uh, situation. Right, right. It was great, you know. Well, that's how it has to be when you're on these kind of really restrictive shoots. Um, you have to be a family. There, you can't have. I have a strict on my sets. I have a strict no assholes rule. If there's anybody that's going to be a douche and is going to bring drama to the set or going to be a complete egomaniac diva, they're fucking eighty sixth. There's there's no room <laughs> during like a six to seven day shoot where you're trying to get a full feature in there for that kind of bullshit. And I'm sure you guys had nothing but really all all your friends and every piece of talent you could scrounge together to try and make this thing work. Yeah, absolutely. It was just a lot of fun. Like everybody had a great time. There were a couple of big, you know, those those crazy days where it was just wild and you know, like you said, the twenty hour days where you're just filming like way too long and 
but for the most part, you know, it was just, like you said, it was fantastic. It was fun. Everybody enjoyed being there. And we wrapped earlier on our last day. I'm not even sure how we did that, but, you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. So what's been the general response you guys have been getting from the film? Have you been doing mostly, like, festivals and getting response that way? Or, I mean, how are you guys getting this film out there? Well, right now um, we're still in our festival run, and uh, Crypticon coming up that Don was talking about earlier, uh, Crypticon's happening this weekend. That's going to be our fourth festival. And so over the last couple of months, we played in Idaho, we played in Arizona. Earlier in this month, like you mentioned, we played in Seattle and won the Audience Award, which was very cool to see, uh, you know, the local crowd respond to the movie like that. Um, and so we're still kind of doing that. We have a lot of festivals we're waiting to hear back from. And I forgot the first part of your question as I was answering it. Was there something else? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what, is, what has the response been to your guys' The response, though? okay. That's right. Yes, it's actually been very good. We, uh, If you go on our IMDb page and look at our external reviews, people have really been talking highly of the movie, maybe even like higher than we would have expected people to be talking. But, uh, you know, we've gotten great write-ups from like Rue Morgue, uh, Fearnet, and even reviews where it's from blogs that maybe you haven't really heard of. Um, what, when they watch the movie, they're really getting it. Like this is a story where we did leave – um, a lot of things open. We didn't want to sit down and explain everything to you at the very last scene. You know, we didn't want to do that, uh, you know, psychiatrist scene in Psycho. You know, luckily that's like an amazing movie, so it's fine. But there are bad movies that try to sit you down and explain everything at the very end. Um, and so we really left it open. And so it's really interesting to see people, how they are interpreting it. And they're 90% of the time, it's exactly what we wanted them to interpret it as, um, even though all those little pieces aren't lined up in this nice, pretty row, they're all in the movie, and people are engaged enough with the slow burn, with the really solid performances and characters, that they're drawn in and they're putting it together in that way. And so, yeah, we've gotten nothing but good feedback. People seem to enjoy it, which is really great. No, I think that's yeah, one of the best things of solid writing. I think you guys did a really good job of laying it out there. I, I, while you're not holding hands, I was able to catch on what was going on the entire time. I, I think there's there's films that are vague for the sake of being vague, and then there's films that, that take kind of an out-of-the-box uh, kind of way to tell the story that still really tie it all in and have it make sense without just having to be weird. Right, yeah, we definitely, we we planned it pretty meticulously so that, you know, like John was saying, we didn't want to hold your hand, but at the same time, we always knew what was going on at any point in the movie, even if it's not explicitly stated in the film, if right. that makes any sense. Yeah, um, We always knew the through line or what was going on, and, um, you know, that just we just to have, like, a pretty solid vision from uh, all three of us, John and Matt and myself, just kind of, we're all on the same page in terms of what we wanted to do. And I think uh, you're talking about the responses. One of the, the best uh, pieces of uh, feedback that I got was in Idaho. Um, uh, we had a good response there overall. And then, and then there was one lady who uh, we saw the next day uh, after the screening, and she told me, I was thinking about the movie this morning still. And I went, wow, that's really cool. That was thinking about the book fucking work told me. Yeah. Yeah, most Absolutely. movies nowadays, you watch them and you forget them instantly. So to have people say, like, you know, I'm, I was really thinking about it. We've had people that have gone to a couple of different festivals, just like they happen to have been at both, and they watch the movie again and they say, like, oh, I got so much more out of it the second time, where I've sat down and watched 
hundreds of movies where as soon as it's over, I'm like, all right, I will never see that again, and <laughs> I'm not going to remember anything about it tomorrow. Um, so that response, <laughs> that response has been very cool. And actually, another thing um, in Idaho that was very cool that somebody said is we've sitting here and we're hammering on the budget and the schedule. And that's not something where we want to kind of, like, use that as a crutch. I think the film can stand as its own, like, good story, shot very well, and acted ably. Um, and so we got a response in Idaho from the person that actually programmed us. She was the person that saw the movie, said that it should be in their festival. This was the Sun Valley Film Festival. And uh, she showed it to the other people um, involved with the festival, and they were like, yeah, that'd be good. She didn't know anything about the budget or the shoot schedule until we were there talking to her, like the day our movie was going to have its world premiere. We were just sitting around talking, and I mentioned that, and she was like, are you kidding me? Like, I had no idea. And that, So that's a really good compliment to get. Absolutely. I mean, that should never – I mean, obviously, when you put a poster out there, you're not going to put a tagline of, shot for $11,000 in seven <laughs> days, Cedar Ridge. <laughs> but it's always like I think I, I think people after they see something that looks as nice and flows as nice and sounds as nice as Seder Rich, when when you hear those kind of stories, um, especially filmmakers, they really appreciate the craft that went into that because those are ringer days. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're very happy so, with the way it turned out. It's sort of one of those things where, like, every piece of the puzzle. Like, I'm really big into cinematography. Like, we were talking about shooting, you know. Like, I, I love the hell out of movies and directors who take cinematography very seriously. So I'm like, okay, this is a, such an important piece. But then we move on to the next piece, like the sound, and it's like, oh, the sound is like the most important piece. You know what I mean? And then you, like, the acting, you're like, this has got to be the most important piece. And then uh, the color just, correction. You know, putting, and the color correction, absolutely. <laughs> Can't forget about that. <laughs> so our movie wasn't you... overly blue or overly red, so that's good. No, I think you guys did a really nice job. And you know what it reminded yeah. me of um, was uh, the the color palette reminded me of uh, there was this film that came out that there was I believe it was shot two years ago, but it finally came out last year that I honestly was completely fucking blown away by. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. It's another indie film called Absentia. I haven't seen it, no. No, I haven't I, seen it yet. I've heard of it. I recommend you guys, I think you guys in particular will really enjoy this film. I think the color palette was similar to it, but it's an extremely slow burn film. I honestly, for my money, it's one of the best, horror films the last decade. Now, a lot of people don't agree with me, but I don't I don't really like a lot of Hollywood horror. I just think it's bullshit. Like, honestly, the Evil Dead remake, I know we're ragging on it a lot, but that was a fucking pile of shit. Let's be fucking honest. Um, it was terrible. It was terrible. I fucking grew up with the fucking Evil Dead, and I go to the theater, pay fucking $30 to go with my wife, and I see that. Oh, I'm so what a fucking piece of shit. And definitely um, but, nowhere near the original, yeah. No, 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 but Accenture, you guys check it out. I think you guys will really like it. I think your color palette had a lot uh, in common with that film. And uh, I always like when, when a film actually, like, decides to go off the beaten path and not necessarily choose a stock, especially an indie film, because it's so easy to just forget and forego color correction altogether for, for a film yeah. to take that on at, at, a, at a very low budget. 
I mean, $11,000 to the layman may seem like something, but when making a film, $11,000 is chicken scratches. We're actually considered a no-budget feature. Yeah, I know. Not even low-budget. No-budget. Isn't that obscene? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's ridiculous, but uh, I, I got to say, thumbs up. Congrats, guys. You did a real great job. Um, why don't you plug away? Let us know where people can contact you about uh, Seder Ridge and where, other than, obviously, we have Crypticon coming up this weekend in Seattle, where they can, they can see and where they, expect, where they can expect to finally get Seder Ridge. All right. Um, well, as mentioned before, uh, we're playing this Saturday in a double feature with Motivational Growth, which we're very happy about, actually. Um, when we premiered at Sun Valley, that was our world premiere. Once again, it was a double feature with Motivational Growth. We were playing in the exact same theater they played before us, just like it's going to happen this Saturday. And at that point, we didn't know each other. But uh, we saw their film, they saw ours, and we were very impressed. I think Motivational Growth is an awesome film, um, so I'm so happy that uh, Don is really nice and a really great guy, and he likes our movie. So it's just uh, it's really worked out. We're really excited to be playing again in a double feature at our third festival together this weekend. Um, besides that, uh, the only other festival we have right now is uh, Fright Night Film Fest in Louisville, Kentucky. That's going to happen the weekend of July 26th, and there hasn't been any showtimes announced yet, but you can uh, look at the FrightNightFilmFest.com, and they'll announce that eventually. Uh, so we're hoping uh, to see a lot of fans there. We're really excited to be playing at a couple of conventions because I think it's a lot different atmosphere than a film festival, and you can really get to know people who just want to see something new, something horrific. Um, and we, like I mentioned before, we have a bunch of festivals we're waiting to hear back from, and so it'll be a process where, you know, throughout the rest of the year, into October especially, is the big horror season. Um that'll be when we're going to be playing at some more festivals and throughout the summer and such. Uh, and then after that, the goal is, you know, video on demand, DVD. Uh, one of my goals in life is to be able to flip the DVD over and see my name on the back, like giving a commentary. So hopefully that happens. Right. Soon. Uh, <laughs> and and as far uh, as keeping up, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, just to let you know uh, where else you can find us as well. Uh, that you can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Seder Ridge. So that's a good way to keep up with, like, updates. Um, John does a really good job of uh, keeping that updated uh, regularly. Um, so when we know about festivals and reviews and things like that, that always goes up. Uh, you can find us at theoctoberpeople.net, and you can see a trailer for Seder Ridge on there as well. Um, anything else, John? Is it? Yeah, we have our uh, our Twitter handle is um, at yeah. October underscore people. So that's the October People's uh, Twitter, and that keeps you up to date on everything Cedar Ridge. And uh, when we get the future projects going, uh, that's where you'll find that stuff as well. Awesome. Now, uh, I would I want to throw this out, and this is to Don as well, because I know Don is still on the line. Um, I there's, am. A fest there's a festival here in Wisconsin that a good buddy of mine, John Pata, who is uh, the co-writer and director of uh, a, an amazing uh, indie film that I was lucky enough to color correct called Dead Weight. Um, he curates called the Oshkosh Horror Film Festival. I think it would be up your guys' alley completely. It's a, it's honestly, for my bang of the buck, it's one of the best horror film festivals that I've been to. Um, and uh, I think both of these films would go over like gangbusters. So uh, I would, I'll, I'll get cool. you guys that, that contact info, and uh, I would love to see you guys there. I know it's a hike. It's in Wisconsin, 
But it would. I, I think both of these films would do gangbusters. And uh, yeah, I, I, thank you. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. We. I saw yeah, that way at. Um, um. I think it was at the Little Rock Horror Film Festival. Yes. The Little Rock Horror Picture Show. Yeah, we we saw that way there. That's the the zombie movie with no zombies, right? Yes, absolutely. Did you get to meet John and uh, Adam? I didn't. I don't. I don't believe that I did, which is unfortunate. However, that was an awesome film. The tension level was was wicked in that movie. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Uh, We're all really proud of how that turned out. I mean, to go in line with uh, all the films we're talking about, I mean, Motivational Growth and uh, Cedar Ridge, I think Dead Leaks fits right into that group because it's another one of these films that that just, it doesn't give a fuck about convention. It's going to tell its story the way it wants to tell its story, and by the end of it, you're going to fucking remember it. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a great theme of, like, both of your guys' movies, which when at first, after I saw the movies, I was kind of like, man, these two movies are totally fucking different. But then uh, as yeah. you said, think about them. They, I mean, you guys both went at it your own way. And, I, and as an indie film guy, I mean, you got to love that because we're just inundated with a glut of, I mean, Yes, we just said uh, Dead Weight's a zombie film with no zombies, but zombie films and shitty Scream Queen films. I'm so sick of seeing these motherfucking films at every film convention <laughs> I've gone to. And every, like, when I get screeners or whenever I, I mean, I don't want to rag on indie guys because I'm an indie guy myself. You guys are indie guys. You know how tough of a racket this is. But as indie guys, we need to step above common denominator status quo bullshit. We can't sit and like rest on our laurels and just put out product. We need there needs to be something and somebody needs to get out there and let people know that there are people that actually care about telling decent stories. And it's really refreshing to see films like your guys' films out there. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. It's awesome. No problem, man. So, uh, I know, Don, you said you actually have some tickets to this weekend's uh, Crypticon that uh, I do. I have two you, passes. you have to offer. You want to yeah, talk about there? Yeah, I have two Saturday passes for, uh, for Crypticon Seattle. They're Saturday passes, so uh, they're perfectly in line with our double feature. Uh, the the uh, only requirement is that you come to the double feature, and uh, I, though I don't really have um, any way of affirming that you actually came. Um, it would be awesome if you did, because you got the tickets for free. God damn it. But if but, you don't uh, show it, if, 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 if you walk out, you're going to be standing in the back with a knife, and you'll cut the motherfucker, right? I will cut the motherfucker. <laughs> um, it'd be cool if we had some kind of contest no to, to make it to make it um, viable for somebody to get free tickets. Well, what I'll do is this. I know for some reason we have listeners, because I see the numbers, but nobody wants to fucking talk. It's like, right. for some reason, we, we scare them off. So uh, what I'll do is this. If anybody out there is listening, obviously we're on tonight, and we're you can download this tomorrow via Beercast Network on iTunes. Oops, Dixie, I'm getting a little feedback here. Well, I have a caller on the line, too. Oh, I know who that is. Well, he can wait a second. Cut, cut okay. him off Just for a second. Just want to let you know. <laughs> I, lo- I love you, Mark. But uh, <laughs> what I'll do is, uh, if if you want to, if you want these tickets, you're in the Seattle uh, Olympia, you know, 
whatever area over there. Um, and you're going to be able to, you want the opportunity to go see these two amazing films and go to Crypticon. Why don't you, you can, you can write to me on the Astro Radio Z Facebook page, uh, or get a hold of these guys. Actually, go like their Facebook pages because well, yeah. both these films are worth, uh, obviously. Um, contact us. Let us know. And, uh, I think you had a good idea. If you can list off six, six, and no less, you can do more if you want, and don't use fucking IMDb, because I'll fucking know, you assholes. Six <laughs> Jeffrey Combs films. Write them on the Astro Radio Z page, or on the Motivational Growth page, or on the Cedar Ridge page. Write them down. We will get a hold of you, get you to Don, and you can get your tickets to Crypticon to see these two amazing independent features. How is that? <laughs> Yeah, sounds great. First come, first serve, so, you know, go quickly. Then or just go over to Don's place and give him, a, give him a little tug, and I'm sure he'll just he'll cough him up. <laughs> yeah, HJ's work. I can do a heater. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming on tonight. It was a pleasure. It was. Uh, I, I'm really thankful that you allowed me to view your films. I enjoyed them both immensely. Uh, so here's the, here's the last hurrah. Any any last minute plugs you want to do um, before uh, we say sayonara? Motivation Jeff is amazing. Check it out. Cedar Ridge is hey, fucking amazing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mutual blowjobs all over the place. Go 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 go! Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I, I I appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, everybody, go to Crypticon this weekend. Check out uh, Imago's Films and Don Thatcher and Motivational Growth. Uh, you're a fan of a great, quirky, independent horror films. You're going to love Motivational Growth. You're a fan of uh, slow burn, uh, atmospheric horror films. Go over and check out Seder, Seder Ridge, uh, Jeremy Berg, uh, John Portanova. Thank you. Thank you all very much. We will be posting information on the Astro Radio Z page for everybody to be able to contact you and keep in touch. Thank you. All right. Now, I know that I was warned that we have a little little gentleman named Mark the Movie Man on the line. Am I correct? Uh, yes, you Yes, you are, sir. You beautiful individual. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm, I'm doing just fine, sir. Sounds like you're doing well yourself. Yeah, I'm about four beers into my pack of... Uh, what is what is this considered? It's a Belgian style IPA called Bedlam out of Madison's from Ale Asylum in Madison. This is a fucking tasty beverage. Isn't it? I'll have to check it out. I'm not too big on beers, but I'm always willing to try something new. So hey, I love it. It's, it's this is the description that's given on the on the head of uh, the label. A chaotic blend of citra hops and a Belgian style yeast give this IPA aromas of summer fruit and a bright hop presence with a plush finish. Bedlam is brewed with passion and is best enjoyed that way. So does that mean I gotta be jerking off while I'm drinking this beer? <laughs> I think I need a cigarette now after that description. Why? Did did my voice did, did I lay it out a little thick? It, it was sexy. It was definitely like a sexy voice. Peanut butter. Oh, yes. peanut food. <laughs> <laughs> I know we, we talked about Dixie only wearing panties while she played Connect. She's panties. Right yeah, now. I'm still on that. You know, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, my brain's still 
picturing that and that kinetic game and, you know, wanting to be a fly on the wall for that. Yeah, with the connect, when I do that, I tend to end up with, like, black eyes or something. It's really bad. <laughs> definitely won't look at Dance Dance Revolution the same way again. <laughs> well, definitely don't hang out with Mark. He will be giving you black eyes. <laughs> so, Mr. Mark, the movie man. What have you been watching that all of our listeners in Astro Radio Z-Land need to be watching? Well, I actually just posted a review of it, but I'm going to bring it here to your Astro Radio Z fanatics, and uh, that's The Legend of the Hillbilly Butcher. Oh, fuck yeah. Talk to me about this. This this thing spoke to me. The moment I saw this motherfucking trailer, I was like, holy balls. This is it. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I murdered the director's name on my review, and I apologize. And he didn't mind. He loved the review. But it's actually pronounced uh, Joaquin uh, Montalvan. And, uh, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Alberto Montalvan? He's he directed movies? Is, Isn't he dead? His name, his, na- his name is Joaquin Montalvan, oh, okay, and I pronounced, okay, okay. It, I, I, I pronounced it Jacqueline. <laughs> You <laughs> son of a bitch! Yeah, I know, I know. And afterwards, I was like, "Oh crap!" Because he messaged me, and he's like, uh, "You know, you mispronounced my name." And I was like, "Oh crap! I'm sorry, where did your name?" He's like, "Yeah, I don't care. I had fun with the review." So, uh, this is a fun little film. Uh, definitely one of those where it's done in the vein of the old '70s and '60s grindhouse and. I, I've seen many of these, you know, it's kind of a trend, but this one, they really did well with it considering, you know, we're in the digital age now. Uh, it definitely has that where it's got spots of overexposure and some things kind of grainy or out of focus and gives it that extra kind of creepy look. And it's basically about this guy, um, Carl Henry Jessup, who is who sits on his land and he basically laments of his uh, olden days and uh, he's taken care of by his half-sister, and he doesn't like people coming on his land or, or, you know, doing things on his land, and so he kind of dispatches them his own way. And uh, he's called Hillbilly Butcher for a reason, because <laughs> he dispatches them very, very uh, graphically. And then uh, uh, he, he can imagine what uh, he might do with those that meet later on. Uh, <laughs> because, after all, it is, you know, a hillbilly story, so you got to have the uh, the whole meat uh, angle with it. But it, it, what it caught me with it was it wasn't just your basic backwoods hillbilly movie. They they actually got a touch of things in here, like a little bit of hints of uh, black magic and uh, spiritualism in here uh, in bits, which surprised me because you usually don't see that in a, uh, in a, a redneck, you know, slasher film like this. Right. It's, the basic, it's usually just the basic uh, uh, cannibal, creepy, you know, uh, southern country boy. You know, With some piss thrown in there. Right. But this one adds just a little extra of the uh, whole spiritualism, and I really like that. I didn't actually get a chance to touch on it in my review, but yeah, that's that. I, I just caught me as, wow, you know, I, I've because you look at this guy, and he doesn't look like a guy who would be trying to practice, you know, black magic. But uh, <laughs> it's definitely... No, he looks like a dude that, that lost most of his teeth through smoking four packs of Lucky Strike Filterless every day and drinking nothing but moonshine. 
Yeah, sucking on a sucking on a, a moonshine jug, you know. And right. uh, the whole cast does very well. You know, there's a little bit of humor in here. Uh, the director shows up as uh, he's credited as the drunken hillbilly. Uh, so he, he there's just a little bit of comedic element in here. But it definitely is an honest film. It knows what it's trying to do, you know, and, and it does it very well. I mean, it really looks like, as I, I, I stated before, it looks like one of those films that belongs in one of those seedy theaters in a basement where there's a leaky pipe, you know, bad popcorn and, you know, the, the old grindhouse, it would definitely fit in that uh, category. So uh, definitely if people get a chance to catch at it, I think they're doing the festival scene now with it. Uh, otherwise they can go to the page. Uh, there's, there's a web page. I think it's the hillbilly butcher uh, uh, movie.com or uh, they're on Facebook too, legend of the hillbilly butcher. Just check out the trailer. I mean, <laughs> You get the, the trailer is a perfect summary of what type of film it is, and it's just oh, it's a lot of fun. There's some great uh, gore graphics in there. There's not a lot, which I liked as well. Oh, so were, it's not all practical? It, no, no, it's all practical in the gore. There's not a lot of gore, though. I mean, they're, 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 the the deaths are gory, but so, they don't so what's the angle? Old. So what's because it's obviously a straight up exploitation film. I mean, what's the it angle? Is there a lot of there a lot of titties and a lot of sex, or what's going on? No, no. Uh, I mean, there isn't a lot of gore like, you know, every frame has gore, but when the deaths do happen, there is uh, uh, very well done gore. So uh, I guess the, the angle of it is just more of the hillbilly grindhouse film. Uh, there, there's not a whole lot of sex in there. Uh, it's just a seedy backwoods uh, killer, and uh, they got some really good gore effects when he's killing people, uh, but you could tell with working on a limited budget, that they had, they didn't do a, uh, uh, you know, have a huge cast in it. Uh, right. So you don't have a, a high body count. But when there is the body count, it is definitely worth it. Uh, you know, and the, the soundtrack is amazing, is great. I mean, they've got this uh, banjo music in there and everything, and it, it just, you know, totally screams the old backwoods, uh, backwoods killer movie. And uh, throwing in the angle of the, uh, the spiritualism in there, and, uh, the, you know, the cannibalism in there definitely uh, uh, adds to it. So, yeah, I, I mean, I recommend it. Um, with the Grindhouse feature, yeah, it's not quite so much exploitation, I think, as just being one of those gritty, gory, uh, kill films that, uh, uh, that uh, you know, you've seen before. Uh, sure, but it's not one of those... 60s. It's not one of those, like, tongue-in-cheek, we're, we're totally going to... Nod at you and tell you that we're just trying to ape, you know, grindhouse. Oh, no, no it, exactly. It, it's not like a, a uh, Planet Terror or something along that lines. You know, it's something that oh, we know we're grindhouse. It, it's an honest. It's trying to be an honest film. You know, it's not tongue in cheek. They do take it seriously in here, even though there are some comedic moments, um, and the gore is is pretty. Uh, uh, explicit in what they do with the, some of the things like intestines and that, but uh, it's definitely not a tongue-in-cheek film. It is it is an old film, you know, maybe a, a send-up to, but it's definitely not one of those where we're going to go over the top and say, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hey, yeah. we're a 70s exploitation film. They're just mm -hmm. making a film as if it was made in the 60s and 70s, you know, during the grindhouse age. So, uh, 
I would say that's probably the best way to take it is that uh, they, they definitely do that because the dialogue and everything in it, it, it has a serious tone. It's it's not just done to be retro just because that's a thing and, oh, hey, we're, we're look at us, we're retro. They're, they're trying to make an honest film, just make it in the vein of a 70s, late 60s grindhouse film rather than a regular modern horror film. Sure. Because, you know, we've got, we've got, we can only have so many wrong turn films. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, I think I, I think I tapped out. I had uh, wrong turn two, and uh, that one was better than number one, but still. Uh, I think I think I stopped at three with those, you know. And that, like I said, that's what it is. It, it's not it's not your average hillbilly horror like like Wrong Turn is, and sure. some of those others. So that's that's what I really enjoyed the fact too was the fact it was. Not it, it added an extra element you wouldn't picture in a film like this, but it fit with the character and and the situations. So uh, it, it's definitely well done. Uh, good, good. So so are you gonna say are you gonna say thumbs up? I'd say thumbs up. Yeah, I would recommend it. Uh, awesome. Definitely for those people who uh, listen to the show, I think they'd enjoy it. You know, uh, it's definitely again like you guys were talking about. Uh, you know, you were talking about with the the other guys on the, the podcast here, the, the, your guests, uh, it's definitely one of those that it's just being a film. It's not trying to be anything but just uh, a good, solid story. And, you know, it is. It's a fun movie. Good. Good, good, good. I'm excited. I, once, you, I think it was either you or Corey that shared me the trailer to that. I think it was Corey. Um, it was Corey. Thought, Corey like, put the trailer to us, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I'm like, holy fuck, I need to see this movie now. This this looks like a slimy piece of shit. This looks right up my alley. So uh, I was I was excited to see that one. So I, I'm glad to hear it. But there was also another. Just let's just do a quick quick run through of. Uh, there was another film that we've we kind of pimped here on Astro Radio Z in the past um, because uh, a, a little tiny film I may or may not have been involved in called Swamphead was referenced on on a review of theirs. I don't like like I said when we talked about it. I don't know how the fuck they saw Swamphead because Swamphead's not even out yet. But for some reason, this guy referenced Swamphead, so that tells me that obviously Swamphead's online somewhere. But anyways, let's talk about this amazingly poetic, Oscar-worthy motion picture called "Don't Let the River Beast Get You." <laughs> don't let the river beast get you. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, I get to see that for the Madison Horror Film Festival, and uh, we can only fit so many films in to the, the, the festival. And I, I know among shocked. the others, I, I gotta say, I, I'm fucking shocked you let Swamphead in and didn't put fucking Don't Let the River Be Skinny. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, Swamphead. That one wasn't my call. That was almost like an automatic in. Uh, no, 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 no. I we, we I had it in. I had it in. So you know, that's why Swamphead got in. But, yeah. <laughs> but Don't Let the River Beast Get You is a great film. It's really fun. Go ahead and talk about it. Oh, Don't Let the River Beast Get You. Yeah, uh, it just it was an interesting film. Definitely a low-no-budget low film. Uh, guys just out, out having fun. And you have this character returning home uh, from – I'm still – I'm trying to remember because it it's been a while since I watched it. Uh, so yeah, you'll you'll have to fill in the blanks for me. Well, I think I think the best description of it, Mark, is that it's basically an update of Zot. Yes, 
Yes, it's basically exactly. an update of the blood the blood waters of Doctor Z. Well, Doctor Z, yeah, because I just got done watching that. Yeah, it, it, now that you mention that, uh, that's why blood waters of Doctor Z when I was watching it seemed so familiar. Yes, it's definitely like an updated version of that. Uh, almost uh, uh, not quite a sequel, but yeah, it was definitely an updated version of that. I mean, yeah, I love what they did w- with the budget they had. I mean, the monster suit and and the writing of it was actually pretty decent. I liked the the character and his uh, uh, was it his groupie or or dancer that he had <laughs> in the park. <laughs> Everything about that movie had me fucking rolling on the floor. It was it was so and, and I know we were bitching about self aware movies just a second ago, but there are certain movies that if they're done right and they're self aware, um they they are very entertaining. I think I think this film, Don't Let the River Beast Get You, and another film you and I I believe both saw recently did you see Manborg yet? Yes, I love Manborg. Yeah, I think Manborg, the Astro, the Astron Six guys get it, and there's very oh, few man. guys that do this kind of really self-aware, um, you know, throwback film that get it right. I've never been a fan of the skeleton, the lost skeleton of of Cadavera. I I always thought that was a little too on the nose. And it, I just didn't think it was that funny. Um, but uh, don't let the it river beat you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. sorry. Uh, uh, I, I did see Cadaver. Actually, I own Cadaver. Uh, and I like it for what they were going for, but I, I agree, yeah, it was almost too much on the nose. Yeah, well, it, it, uh, it, those it, films, there's a reason why we don't make films like that anymore, because they're boring <laughs> as fuck. They're boring as fuck. In that movie, it just wasn't funny to me. It, I mean, it was probably funny to the, to the cats that, that grew up in that age and that, you know, went to the movies during that era, but uh, I just, uh, I love some of those movies, but I just couldn't hang with it, where stuff like maybe, you know, this is an indictment of my generation, I grew up in the 80s and in the 90s, and there were films like this, but Manborg was fucking hilarious, it was fucking hilarious, and so, and it was so shittily done, and so, but at the same time, so amazingly done, on such a tight little budget. With such a minimal it, it crew, knew. It, it, well, it knew it's not it necessarily new. Mark, I believe that it was done before they did uh, Father's Day. Oh, was it? Yeah, I believe it, it was. Really it's one of these productions that I think that just been kind of in the grinder for a while. And because uh-huh. if you watch the film, you can obviously tell. And anybody that doesn't know what Manborg is, Manborg is basically kind of like a send off of the old uh, cyborg. Uh, 80s action post-apocalyptic movie, but it's it's one of these you know all green screen films with stop motion animation, uh, a lot of After Effects, um, but but done tongue in cheek, and it's just so dead on. But it it it's one of those old 80s films, and we grew up with this. But it's uh, it's so chaotic. It's like it barely runs an hour and ten minutes, I think. And is there so much flies by. It. It, it flies by. by. It's so fun. And, and I couldn't believe when I saw the stop motion animation stuff in it, too. That blew me away. I'm like, I, this just got better. I'm like sitting here going, oh. they, because they put effort into it. Because it's what you're saying. You know, there are a lot of send-up movies. 
but very few get it right. And man, Borg, the Astron 6 guys got it right because, you know, it's again sort of like Hillbilly Bits. You know, they're making a film as if it was made back then. They're not making a film of today and poking, you know, oh, this is, you know, we're trying to be like this. It's actually trying to be a film from that era. And they just do it so well and so over the top. And I mean, the makeup effects on those guys, too, the practical effects were were good as well, I thought. Well, I don't know if you're – are you too familiar with uh, a lot of their short films that they've done? Uh, I, I don't think I've seen many of their short films, no. Well, I was lucky enough, uh, my graphical artist, uh, that's worked on all the films that I've been a part of, Eric Ars now, he was with us at Cinema Wasteland, and he basically like, Derek, get over here now. I know you want to see Father's Day. Get over here. So he pulls me over to this, this fucking boot table, and this boot table had the fucking four-disc di- four Blu-ray set, which is limited edition of Father's Day that had a bunch of their uh, their shorts on it. Okay. And uh, Manborg also, at the end of the credits, has a new short that they put together called Biocop, which is fucking... It, it's a hilarious send-up of the Incredible Melting Man mixed with Maniac Cop. Um, it's, it's extremely well done. But their other shorts are also fucking so on point like Cool Guys, which is a send-up of, um, like, the old 80s uh, buddy beach movies. Oh, and sure. Then okay, yeah. yeah, that's a really fun one. And then another one called uh, Laser Cops, I think oh. it's called. I don't remember, but it's it's more along the lines of Man Board. And it's, right. it's really fucking funny. It, I mean, there's a great one-liner where uh, the lead character from uh, Father's Day turns around and looks at uh, the heroes of uh, Laser Cops and goes, uh, see a laser. And it's a <laughs> fucking ridiculous... I, I, I shit myself. I was laughing so fucking hard. It was so stupid. But, uh, oh, that's but awesome. That's me. I, I, have, I have a terrible sense of humor. But, uh, yeah, man board. Fun stuff. Don't let the river beast get you. If you're into a shitty fucking um, guys, uh, scuba divers in in shitty fucking monster uh, outfits, uh, just mugging at the screen uh, like the, the bloodwaters of Doctor Z inside, you'll love. Don't let the river beast get you. It's self-aware, but in in a way that um, it doesn't sit and look at you the entire time and wink and, yeah. and all that shit. Um, it's really fun. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I know you enjoyed it. So uh, those are two oh, films, yeah. I think, lately that I've, I've really, really, really liked. Yeah, Manborg was just a surprise. And definitely stay to the credits and watch Biocop. Oh, that was fucking... I don't think I've ever seen a film that... <laughs> I don't want to ruin it because I think if you go in... No, I'm not going to say anything about it. No, this is what I problem. recommend. You can't say anything, can't say anything no, about no, 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 it because, because it's so short. Uh, because, honestly, if I say something about it, it's going to lose its charm. I think, go into it. This is my recommendation. Anyone that's an avid listener of Astro Radio Z obviously has poor taste and uh, likes very deviant films. Um, Van Borg is up your alley. Just buy it. Don't even, don't even, just blind mind. Deviant films? Are you kidding? Oh, dee motherfucker. What are you up to, my friend? 
I was just hanging out here listening to you uh, talk about deviant films that you like. I mean, I, I've seen Swamphead. Wait, wait, wait. Ah! DVDA. There you go. DVDA, baby. Now I gotta, I gotta warn you, Deep. I was, uh, I was uh, privy to seeing the final DVD master of Swamphead, which. To let our listeners know to do shameless plugs because we all know Uncle Lloyd likes us doing shameless plugs on Astro Radio Z. Um, Briarwoodentertainment.com in the next week or two, you should be able to pick up your copy of Swamphead on DVD DHS combo. Um, but anyways, I was able to see the, the, the final master of the DVD of Swamphead, and I'll just let you know. I'll give you. I'll give you a little preview. When you hit play on the menu, you may have a, a piece of shit fly at the screen and, and, and splatter. Just letting you know that. Uh, I, th I think me and Mark are looking for the Blu-ray of that. Yeah. You think we can afford the, the fee that Sony charges you for Blu-rays? Are you fucking kidding me? No way. <laughs> You've seen Swampet. You know the kind of fucking production value we have. We have no budget. My buddy has a Blu-ray burner. I could uh, transfer the VHS to a Blu-ray. <laughs> no, I can actually because it was shot. It was nominally shot in HD. And when I say nominally, I mean it was shot in 720. Uh, not my preference, but that's how it was shot. Uh, it is in high def. And we were going to make, uh, and I may still do this, a Blu-ray, but we're never going to release it in Blu-ray, I'm sure. I'm hoping sure. Briarwood Entertainment, because I talked with uh, Justin, uh, who is a part of Briarwood. He, he, there may be an HD stream of it at some point. So maybe in the future you'll be able to see why anyone would want to watch Swamphead and, and I, HD is fucking beyond me, but uh, <laughs> but but there may be an opportunity to do so in the near future. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so anyway, so so we're getting to that point of the night where we probably need to start wrapping this up. So uh, Mark, let's do our picks of of the week. And D, I want you to get in the mix on this as well, since how we no longer have our confidant, Mister Udler. You are going to be Mr. Udler this week. So, D, I'm going to put it all on you to start with. What is your pick of the week? You're going to lay this on me, huh? Yeah, I'm going to lay this <laughs> on you. Actually, the uh, pick of the week I've got is uh, I went down to the uh, Wally World brick-and-mortar store, and they have a four-pack of Hammer film, Drac Dracula Hammer films, that I've been slowly going through over the past week and a half now. It's got like Dracula AD, 1972 AD and then Blood of Dracula and Dracula's Nuts Reborn and then you know, <laughs> Dracula's Nuts Reborn again. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's it is, it is true. The satanic rites of Dracula's Nuts. Yes, exactly. I mean, actually there was the Dracula 1972 AD they did satanic rites to bring him back and, you know, kill the go-go girl. Yeah, I mean right, that's right. that's you know that's what you do in the seventies, right? But right. yeah, that, that's my pick of the week is uh, it's like seven fifty down at the the brick and mortar Wally World store, and you know I was like seven fifty for four Hammer films. Fuck yeah! I mean I got nothing no to do shit, with right. my life. Yeah, and so <laughs> it's been like forever since I've seen them on television. So that's my pick of the week. 
Fuck yeah, that's that's a solid pick. Mark, go for it. Oh, my pick of the week. Uh, I've been listening to it a lot. Uh, it's an extended version of the uh, Conan the Barbarian, not the Momoa crap, but the original Arnold uh, soundtrack, Basil Pogoris. Uh It's a two-CD set. They've got every sound cue in there. If you're a lover of soundtrack, it, it, it needs to be picked up. Uh, I, I know everybody loves Williams, John Williams and all that, but for me personally, that's one of my favorite scores of all time because without that score, that movie really doesn't, isn't as good. Uh, so it's just one of those integral music pieces, and I know it's a little lame, but it's the soundtrack to Conan. It's a fantastic soundtrack. Uh, I, I really, you know, I listen to it all the time, and I got a, my buddy got me the extended version, which just has the original released album as well as every other music cue that's in there. And they're not all interesting, but it's just cool to have and listen to. Uh, and definitely uh, makes you think of the movie, because the movie is like 30 minutes of music with no dialogue. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, Arnold's chest. Mark, could you say all that slower in a wispier voice? I'm kind of turned on now. <laughs> Types of, of of Mr. Carey there, so <laughs> oh Jesus fucking Christ! So awesome! So Hammerbox set from D. We have the the Conan soundtrack from Mr. Mark the Movie Man. Um, I'm gonna pick a movie that uh, I'm gonna preface a little bit. Uh, my pick is a film called Flooding with Love for the Kid. Now, what what this film is, uh, and I'm sure a lot of film a lot of people don't know what the fuck this movie is. I am an avid listener of the Projection Booth podcast. And if uh, any of my listeners aren't aware of what the Projection Booth podcast is, it's a run through Jackalope Radio, which we all know Mr. Todd Sheets, the amazing, immortal Mr. Todd Sheets, director extraordinaire, who's put out amazing films such as Goblin. Um, <laughs> everyone should know what that is because if you don't, stop listening to my radio show and go watch it right now. Um, but anyways, Projection Booth Podcast is a couple dudes from Detroit that literally dissect films and get a hold of all of the creators, actors, and have extended interviews with them. Uh, totally informative, totally addictive, and for the most part, they specialize in more underground cinema. They do do some of the bigger budget stuff, but every now and then uh, they do trauma and they do John Waters. Um, the Flooding with Love for the Kid, why well, I, I discovered through their episode concerning First Blood. Uh, I am a huge, avid fan, as all of us that are on the line right now are, of 80s action cinema. In First Blood, is a film growing up was in heavy rotation on HBO in the 80s. And I, I've i watched that film so many fucking times, I could probably quote every fucking line in it, same as Blood uh, Bloodsport. I, I know that movie, it's embarrassing. Uh, there's a buddy of mine that was a guitarist in my band, The Suspirios, that uh, we used to just get drunk and quote Bloodsport all fucking night, and everybody else would leave while we were just laughing and shitting ourselves. Um, but <laughs> but uh, fighting with the love for the kid to, to round up, make a short story long, is um, is basically a one-man production of First Blood, the novel. 
there there's this individual that wrote, directed, edited, and starred in every role in the book and did it all in New York in a 220-square-foot apartment. Wow. Shot first blood. Now, as you can fucking imagine, this movie has some limitations. <laughs> if, 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 if you can get beyond the first 10, 15 minutes and understand what this film is, it is oddly hypnotizing. It is just like this guy, it, this is obviously, because I uh, through the podcast, I, they did an interview with the director, and he admitted, this film was never meant for anyone else to see. This is something that is beyond low budget. Now, that's not to say that it's home video quality. It is that quality, but it's done in such a weirdly creative way. Where where it's all done, obviously, if you're familiar with First Blood, you know that it, it takes place in a rural setting with, with a lot of action set pieces and a lot of drama. But it's, this is done in a, in a freaking apartment building. And he uses certain elements of his apartment building as symbolic references to, to things that are going on. And it's, it's so creative. Um, but it's not for the masses. Um, most people are not going to be able to even make it through five minutes of this film just from the low-budget nature of it and the limitations. But if you have an open mind and are a fan of no-budget cinema and of shot on video, I think, and, and this is a caveat, huge one, a tremendous fan of First Blood, I think you'll you'll really just, You'll, once you get past that first 10, 15 minutes, you're kind of like, wow, this is fucking pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> My wife didn't make it through the whole thing, i got to admit. Um, but it's definitely not a film for everyone. But if you're a fan of really strange, challenging, out there kind of cinema, flooding with love for the kid, a one-man production of First Blood, the novel, not the not the Stallone movie, the novel, um, which actually has gotten the consent and thumbs up from the novelist. Um, go for it. Check it out. You can go to his website and you can find it and buy it from him. And which he, his new movie is actually a combination uh, shot for shot uh, remake of it's like this weird amalgamation of Faces of Death and Kickboxer. Now, you figure out how that fucking works. Um, but uh, that's his new film. Go to his website. Check it out. I'm sure just bring up Flying With Love to the Kid, and it'll lead you there. I don't have it. I don't want to spend I've, – I've had five beers now of a really heavy beer, and I, I don't really feel like bringing it up. You'll figure it out. Um, Flying With Love to the Kid. That's uh, my pick of the week. And uh, that brings us to the end of this episode of Astro Radio Z. I want to thank – all of my guests, Don uh, Thacker from Motivational Growth, Jeremy Berg, and John Portanova from Satter Ridge, or Sater Ridge. I fucked it up again. I'm a total douche nozzle. Um, I want to thank those guys for coming on. I want everybody to go to their Facebook pages, their, uh, their Twitters, and uh, give them stroke jobs and follow them and go see these films because I really enjoyed them. Mark the Movie Man, where can our listeners, our devoted uh, following in Slovenia, where can they follow you? 
they, they can follow me on Twitter at MovieManiac3D. Uh, they can hop on YouTube and go to YouTube.com slash SpecialMark. I actually will be doing a live show tomorrow where we're going to uh, do a Google Hangout called The Spoiler Room. We're going to be talking comedies. I got a Tanya Atomic coming. Uh, so she's going to be on the show again because she recently did a comedy, so we're going to have her on and talk old and new comedies. And uh, you can also uh, catch me on Facebook. You got uh, the Facebook, and it's uh, the Final Pet Movie Review Show. So I'm all over the place. Awesome. Great news. Um, Mr. Fearcast D, do some plug-in for Fearcast. Go for it. Uh, Fearcast.net. Uh, if you haven't picked up your tickets for the zombie prom here in Tulsa, you need to go do that right now. Uh, new sponsors, uh, Marshall Brewing Company and HorrorHound.com. Uh, big special thanks to HorrorHound for coming on board and uh, sponsoring the first annual zombie prom here. Uh, getting all that lined out the, this weekend and will be a blast. So tickets are limited there uh, for the first you know, zombie prom, so be sure to get on that bandwagon as soon as possible. Uh, as far as that goes, that's about it for us. I mean, uh, we're taking kind of a slow break after Crawl Bridge Crawl and uh, finishing up Sparrow and Sick Boy. Uh, Sparrow should be out by the end of next week, so Rock. that's about that's about all we're doing right now. Just trying to we're playing catch up before August, which is con season, it seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Derek. Oh no, I got I got nothing to say. Go for it. Uh, I was just asking, is Crawl Crawl pretty much done yet, or? I don't think you heard yet. Maybe there, oh. there seems to be a lot of feedback going on. So. Anyway, Crawl Crawl Crawl. Uh, is uh, it is released, uh, not to the masses yet. So we'll just. Uh, okay. I can't talk a lot about it over the radio, but I can get in detail. You know, as soon as no, I, I get the thumbs up. That, that's all good. No, I had messaged them earlier because I've been whoring myself out to uh, indie folks saying, hey, you got a movie you want me to review? Uh, and I had messaged them, so I was just wondering uh, where they were at because uh, <laughs> maybe I'd follow up with them when it was completed. So uh, I might have to drop another message out to them. So. Uh, I'm because you guys got to get the movie, man. Yeah, be, be kind with that. Awesome. Well, Crawl, Bitch, Crawl, and all the other FearCast Network pieces. Definitely go check. A lot of them are on Facebook. Go check out FearCast Network, and you'll be able to see their awesome short films that they've been up to. Um, myself, uh, Mr. Derek Carey, you can uh, check out my film, Screaming in High Heels, has been released through um, Breaking Glass Pictures, and it's been on Chiller TV for the last year. You can pick uh, a copy up, even though we don't recommend it, uh, through Breaking Glass Pictures, because they're a bunch of douchebag fuckwads. Uh, go pick it up used, and don't support them. Uh, pick it up used, and, and go love uh, Brink Stevens, Linnea Quigley, and Michelle Bauer, because we love them. Uh, that's what the piece is for. Um, pick up a copy of that. Coming out soon, Swamphead, obviously, through Briarwood Entertainment. And uh, Dead Weight, go check that one out, carryingdeadweight.com. There's big news that hopefully I'll be able to release to you to the masses uh, soon about Dead Weight, finally picking up Distro. Um, I mean, we're all really excited. The film's going to get out there. 
and uh, hopefully everyone can finally check out Dead Weight. Um, that's coming out soon, and we'll keep you up to date here on Astro Radio Z about uh, Corey Udler and myself's new anthology film, Hole in the Wall, that's currently in production. Uh, we'll keep you up to date. Go to our Facebook page, like us there. You'll be able to see cool stills and all sorts of other info about the film. And, uh, yeah, catch me on Facebook and on Twitter. You can follow me at Derek Harry. You'll be able to find me. I'm out there. So that's about it for Astro Radio Z this time. I want to thank everybody for coming on, and uh, we'll catch you next time. See ya. Check for updates on fearcast.net. This is fear.